Hey everyone, you're listening to the 107 podcast where we get together every fortnight to talk about technology, business, and the humans in it. I'm your host, Ivan Stegic. In this episode of the podcast, I'm talking to my colleague and fellow Internet of Things enthusiast, Dan Antonson. By day, he is a marketing technology manager at Collegius Education, and by night, he works with Google Analytics, SEO Blackmagic, while outfitting his dog with a Fitbit designed especially for canines, a Fitbark. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's going to be a great episode. I'm so looking forward to talking to you. I uh, that that makes two of us. I'm I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. When I think of you, I think of all the things you do during the day, the things you're busy with in the evenings, your uh, interest in the Internet of Things, just like I am, and I see a lot of overlaps. But I want to give you the chance of describing who Dan Antonson really is. So by day, I, I'm a, a marketing technology manager, which means I get to play with a ton of really cool tools from Google Analytics to Tag Manager to business intelligence tools. And by night, I come home to my office where I play with all of my internet connected devices, uh, things that I find interesting and just data and just... I. I am a, uh, I am definitely uh, a geek when it comes to those things. So, uh, but what I love about it is I get to do it during the day and the night. <laughs> so it sounds like you're actually not working during the day. You're kind of playing. I definitely like to think so. I, uh, I have a, a couple of colleagues. I, I, I just had a one-on-one uh, with one of my uh, coworkers today. And uh, one of the questions I asked her is, hey, I just want to make sure you're having fun because in marketing with all the different tools and with all the different technology, I mean, uh, not everything has to be fun, but you definitely want the majority to be fun. So yes, I, I am definitely during the day having fun and at night having fun, just a lot of fun in general. <laughs> that sounds like a great place to be. So you do you spend your day looking at data then, or are you spending your time in other ways as well? So I, I definitely am looking at data. I'm definitely looking at the output. But uh, I would say the, the larger chunk of my days is, is really in the world of what I'll call data collection. And uh, I think so often we think of you know the tools that are generating data, whether it's the website, whether it's Google Analytics, whether it's, I mean, da- data is everywhere. There's no shortage of it. I spend a lot of time on the data collection where, um, you know, are we collecting the right data from the tools? Are we pulling in, making the right connections and are we ma- answering the the right questions? And a lot of times the, the questions that you can answer really comes down to, to collection. I think data collection is underrated data collection, data connection. Those are really where I spend my time. And then, you know, of course, looking at the output, uh, there's a lot of satisfaction there. But I definitely consider myself as somebody more behind the scenes, operationalizing data that way than I am as a as a true analyst. I love insights and analysis, but I get so much satisfaction on the collection side. Can you remember the first set of data you ever collected? Yeah. So so I got my um, I got my start in analytics about almost 10 years now, which is, is sounds crazy to me when I say it out loud. 
but I, I got my start in, in web development and I, I actually consider myself an, an accidental analyst. So throughout college, you know, throughout my education, you know, really put myself through school, through doing websites for small businesses in the Twin Cities area. So with my brother and I, we had a little web development shop. I learned a ton. It was, you know, the early Wild West days before content management systems were, you know, what they are today. And I remember having a, uh, a small business. It was like a, almost in like the construction space. Uh, I had built this website and of course it turned into, you know, I want to make this button bigger. I want to redo the navigation. And in those days, you know, those things were all done by hand. There was no, there was no content management system to make those changes. And so, uh, in almost in frustration, and I actually think the best ideas come out of when somebody is frustrated, but what I ended up doing was installing Google analytics. I had, I had no experience with it. Days it was uh, actually it was Google Analytics, but it was just coming out of Urchin. Uh, I really got hooked. I you know I used data not as a weapon, not as a shield, but you know I wanted to make the websites I was making better. And as soon as I saw what was possible, I fell in love. And as that, I got more satisfaction. I was having more fun looking at that data than I was building websites. And I kind of made a conscious decision to try to move my career that direction. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made. Why do you think data is more interesting to you rather than development? Development to me, and I, and I don't, I have so much respect for, for web developers and programmers. And, you know, I, I, I don't consider myself either one of those. But for me, what I, what I loved about data was the combination of things. Um, don't get me wrong. Uh, I definitely take satisfaction in beautiful websites and being part of that production. But for me, data, it's a symphony. It's all of the pieces coming together. You know, there would be no web analytics without digital analytics, without the website or without media or without strategy or campaigns. And so for me, data was, was all of those things coming together and kind of at the intersection of technology and marketing. I'm just fascinated when those things come together in a meaningful way. I love being part of the catalyst than I guess the, the infrastructure. All those things are important, but I just, I just love when they come together. And, and part of them coming together is doing uh, not just the collection, but doing the analysis and the strategy before and after, and then making sure you collaborate with your fellow teammates. When it comes to data, though, I often used to think, and I don't know if you know, uh, Dan, my background is in physics. And so I spent a fair amount of time in a lab actually taking data and then trying to come up with what that data meant. And so the question I think is, when you've collected all this data, you would expect that there is maybe one truth or maybe not. So the question is, of all the data that you, you've collected on a project, for example, do you expect to get one truth out of that data? Or do you think it's dependent on who the analyst is and what that data is saying, dependent on the person who's analyzing it? I absolutely love that question. So firstly, uh, A, I didn't know you had a background in physics. That's super cool. We'll have to uh, geek out on that on another podcast. I'd love um, to. <laughs> I'm sure you would. <laughs> the, uh, back to your question, 
you know, I, I think that's actually what makes marketing and digital analytics data so hard, but also so interesting at the same time. I heard your question. Is there a right answer when it comes to digital analytics data? Or is there a truth? Is there a ultimate answer? There absolutely are answers there. But you're absolutely right. It completely comes down to the individuals making the observations and their experiences and their biases and, and their you know initiatives or prerogative. And, and so um, and it's actually funny because, um, A, I didn't grow up wanting to be an analyst. That was not what I, uh, second grade uh, Daniel thought he was going to be doing, you know, when he got older. Um, but actually, my uh, my my mom is an is an analyst. She's a senior analyst with a major airline. I mean, she's bounced all over that space and that company and that industry, you know, airlines uh, being an airline kid, you know, they go up and down, they're, you know, laying off, they're hiring, they're laying off. And um, at one point, my mom was at a transitional phase. You know, she, of course, knew what I was doing. And she's actually my Excel guru. I reach out to her when I need something for with Excel. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, right. So it's really funny at work. Uh, when I have a, a challenging Excel problem or somebody comes to me and I'm like, I don't know the answer, but I bet my mom does. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up giving her like a little onboarding session and showed her what I was working on and what I what I was doing and, you know, giving her some tools and some resources for her to get started if she if this was a path that she wanted to go down. It was really interesting to me. We got done and she's like, okay, well, let's go back to this. And I was showing her, you know, conversion rates and, you know, optimization strategy. And she's like, but how do you get the right answer? Like, how do I check my math? I know my work is right. And I think to to physics, right? Like that's what you were, I'm assuming you were doing with the data is looking for ways to, to validate it. I don't want to suggest it's all binary, but I'm sure a lot of it is. And and when it comes to web data and customer data, it's so much more fluid than that. Um, just the collection mechanisms are just so different. And the objectives and what you do with it really depends on, on who you are. But I, I do believe that data giving you an answer, at the very least, it should at least be shining a light in a direction that you should go. doesn't necessarily have to be right or wrong, but hopefully at the very least, it's giving you a direction on where to go next, what to prioritize next. I think there's a, a parallel between kind of scientific data collection, um, at, at least ones that I've experienced in a lab, and um, the data that you've been talking about. You kind of use the analogy of a light shining a direction. And when I think of lab data, I actually don't think of a single absolute answer in any measurement I've ever taken. I always think of them as points on a curve. And I think of the most likely measurement being the one that is in the middle with error bars on the side. I think the analogy to what you just described is, you know, the ultimate answer is maybe that light that uh, that's shining and the error bars are the kind of the variation that depends on the analyst who's looking at the data and what their experience and opinion maybe is. Absolutely. I I think a lot of, well, I look at them, I look at conversion rate optimization. Yeah, conversion rate optimization is a really good example of how uh, 
uh, how that like scientific method in marketing can be applied, right? It's a, it's a true experiment. And, um, and I think that's a good example where that, that happens. But I think a lot of where you do get the, you know, margin of error, confidence interval, like, you know, that type of experiment, that type of data. But when you look at data like Google Analytics, where, you know, a lot of Google Analytics data, that's that's collected in just because you can, right? You don't really know what you're going to do with it later, but you're hoping that, you know, when the time arises or when you have a question or you want to know how to prioritize your marketing dollars, you can, you can rest or find at least some sort of direction there. So I, I do think there's definitely different types of data and in, in marketing and it's an, it's an important distinction, but yeah, I mean, absolute answers and, and checking your math sometimes in, in, in analytics is, is hard. Um, and especially when you start thinking about the, the inherent flaws of the collection system where you're dealing with cookies, you're dealing with browsers, you're dealing with, uh, IE eight, right? <laughs> like you, you probably weren't, you probably weren't worried about that in the lab. <laughs> At least I hope you weren't. <laughs> no, we weren't. <laughs> So your experience has been as a developer, you have some experience being uh, doing some work in SEO, and that's obviously informed the work you do today in your job as a digital analyst. If there's someone out there who's doing a similar job than what you are, um, that maybe just started doing that and doesn't have, you know, 1990s and early aughts experience of development in SEO um, to rely on, how do you think your experience informs the decisions you make and the analyses you come up with differently compared to someone who doesn't have that? You know, I think if the experience has, has definitely caught, taught me a few things. And, um, and I think the biggest, the biggest learner, the biggest thing that I'm thinking about, um, especially recently, is just um, a recognition of just the whirlwind that is technology and that is, is marketing. There are so many tools out there. There are so many email platforms, website content management systems, uh, advertising platforms, tag management systems, pixels, and personalization. And there's there's there are just so many widgets. And you know whether you're a large organization or a small one, there are all of these 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 questions just around just general prioritization. And so, you know, if anything, somebody getting started. Um, what I would encourage them to really do is like take a step back sometimes and really look to see how your work, the bigger picture and really try to assess and prioritize, you know, where, where you fit in the project or where you fit in the initiative. And then thinking about just like what, what is the real priority here? When I first got started in web analytics and a lot of the conversations I had when it, whether it was like web development or, you know, even SEO, um, you know, should we be, should we add keywords? Should we rebuild this page? Should we create a new website? How about a subdomain? What about e-commerce? And, and I think some, you know, one of the most important questions that you can help your help answer, whether it's in analytics or just in life or in general, is just to recognize that that whirlwind is real and figuring out and helping others around you prioritize what, what is important. And, and that's what, that's what I think data, especially today, does a really good job at. And it's not a, I think a lot of people want data to be, web analytics to be really sexy and, and sophisticated. But a lot of times, 
just knowing where to prioritize your efforts is just half the battle and and don't lose sight of that because trust me when you get into a into the weeds with a tool which i love the weeds i love going into the weeds on a tool but i i it, it don't don't get sucked into the rabbit hole no matter what it is and um and that's something that i think just comes with time too just recognizing the whirlwind having empathy for for the people around you and the projects they're working on and just figuring out you know where do you steer the ship because this ship often moves slower than you think it does and starting to prioritize now will only pay dividends in the future i want to take a step back we've been talking about you know data collection most of it is focused around the things that we as humans do on the internet and our interaction with technology during the day maybe a device maybe a uh, door open at in the home and our and our home automation is tracking it i want to look a little bigger than that and think about the data that we have in the world that maybe we don't have a whole lot of experience with on a daily basis and ask you the question how do you think data has affected us in the last year or year and a half compared to the last to a year the same set of days so maybe over the last year compared to at the turn of the millennium how is data different and how has it affected us differently or has it affected us differently yeah I think your question is really centered around like data and technology really coming together and how is that connection different than what it was before and I think there I think there are a couple couple observations I have and then I can give you an example of where it's it's real uh, number one I think when digital analytics and web analytics started and when I when I talk about data collection in the early days it was really truly all you know, how do I measure a browser? How do I measure activity on a website? How do I understand how to how people are using my website? And then how do I use the data to optimize that experience? No, regardless of what it was for, whether it was trying to get people to fill out more forms or buy more stuff, you know, digital analytics was all about measuring activity on a screen. And then over time, we got more screens. Uh, we got phones and tablets. And then digital analytics turned into, you know, measuring those interactions and tying those together. Then it was a cross device problem, right? Where how do I know this is the same person across these devices? And those these are still challenges that we we have today. But I think where things are are really feel different to me now, and it, it's exciting to me, but it's also terrifying. Um, it's not just screens anymore. It's it's what are we doing in the real world, and how do we connect our actions offline with the actions that we're doing online? Now I'm not just tracking an e-commerce store. I'm tracking and connecting digital behavior to offline behavior, and that's something I've been been working on for a few years. But you know, an example of where this is really truly coming to life is Amazon's new Go store. Is that what they're calling it? Have you have you heard of that? The Go, like where you're able to walk into this store and just take stuff off the shelf. Is that, are they calling it the Go? I don't even know what they're calling. I think it's called Amazon Go, and they had it. Um, actually, a friend of mine works at HQ in Seattle, and he's used it, and he just was beaming about it, loved it. It was just really freaky to be able to walk into a store and get what you need and walk out. And I believe, I think you were going to allude to the fact that 
um, they just opened it up for general use outside of just Amazon employees. Yeah, exactly. Think of the opportunity for Amazon here. You know, not only are they tracking, of course, they're tracking what you're purchasing and online and they're recommending products and they're delivering them super fast. I mean, that's actually a pretty easy measurement experience, you know, to measure uh, the Amazon website. You've got a product page. There's a cart. You can add stuff to the cart. You can either buy the stuff or remove it from the cart. I mean, that's very cut and dry and something we've had figured out for a while. And, And then with the signing into an account, you know, I can tie your multiple devices together and I can learn a lot about you and, and I can optimize around that. But now Amazon has has now that same account that you're using online is is being applied in a, in a physical environment and in a way that's so convenient, it doesn't feel creepy. So, you know, your your co- your friend, your colleague who goes into the store you know, think about it, like their data collection is so good and so robust that they're so confident in it that they allow you to just grab whatever you want and walk out the door. Well, don't don't think that they're not measuring the product that you pick up and, and set down. Think about it. So so and then think about what that that profile would look like now. I'm probably on the other spectrum for privacy. I mean, privacy is important. It always will be. And so don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not I'm not an anti-privacy person. But, you know, at the same time, you know, Amazon is using this data in such a such a way that that feels so convenient that you're willing to give up that privacy Amazon's going to know every person who steps foot into that store, whether they buy something or not. That's what I think is really different today is that that online and offline world is is coming. Um, it's all going to be one experience, one data set. It isn't just about websites anymore. And, and so it should be, right? I mean, we live in the real world. We use these devices online, which are effectively the real world. Why shouldn't those things be connected? And I, I, would, I would guess that Amazon rolls it out to Whole Foods next, that Go is just a first step for them to test it and then it goes to whole foods and then and when that happens boy target and best buy and all the other large corporations and um uh companies that are are selling things within the grocery stores they're gonna be behind absolutely i mean and that's what i think is really i think amazon is really showing uh, the, the practical application around data. Their Amazon Go store is really just truly in all purposes, just a, you know, we, we're going to use our data analytics processing to, to allow people just to come in and get what they want and leave. And we're not even going to look at that data. Well, you know, it has nothing to do with insights. It has nothing to do with, you know, th- this amazing epiphany of like consumer behavior. It's just using peer processing power and an image recognition and AI and, and data, all of these things, just to make an amazing customer experience. There's only going to be more of that in the future. There's only going to be more, uh, there's, it's only going to be more of that. And, and as a consumer, you know, that, that sounds amazing to me. <laughs> like the, the future is now. <laughs> I know we're living in the future, Dana. It's just amazing to me as well. I, I think I feel the same kind of excitement that you do.
and Amazon is is the big player naturally, but a lot of these technologies will, I, I guarantee you, they will find their way into you know smaller venues, and the technology will be uh, not fully democratized. You know, I don't envision Amazon selling this technology, or maybe they will. But you know, th- I think that's the story with marketing technology in general. And when you look at that marketing technology bubble chart of all the, the different vendors who are offering email and content management systems, and so you know, it's like I said when I first started in web development, you know, content management systems were a luxury. You had to build those things yourself; um, they just didn't exist. And then you know, slowly, an open source technology kind of paved the way and got bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know, pretty soon you know wordpress dominates an open source virtually free technology google analytics a virtually free technology you know run by even another company becomes cheaper and more accessible to to everybody so as much as it feels like amazon has a monopoly and even google it feels like they have a monopoly on search i mean think about what google did with that they took their search engine and then turned it around and gave people a an embeddable search bar for their own website so it's only a matter of time before this technology leaks out out to everybody else it's it's exciting to see the first iteration of this come to life in a very real way isn't that great i just love it me too so in the intro i mentioned that you outfitted your dog with a canine fitbit called fitbark um i want to kind of pick your brain about what first what made you (laughs) <laughs> what made you consider doing that? You mean you effectively have an internet connected dog. But before I before I ask that question, do you think your dog's gonna be able to walk into an Amazon Go store and pick up its own food for you? <laughs> you just send it off over to the store and it can come back with what you need him to have? Prime for dogs is like the perfect like April Fool's gag that for Amazon. Um, Amazon, if you're listening, please give us credit for that one. Um, um, so the Fitbark, I will fully admit. I so I'm a complete gadget guy. I just love gadgets. I oh man, I've got Roombas. I've got you know door sensors. I've got window sensors. I Raspberry Pis and routers and just I, I love it. I love to tinker. And uh, the Fitbark was somebody had passed along passed it along to me as like, hey, check this out. And as soon as I saw it, I'm like, I, I have to have this. I just can't resist. So so I bought this for the dog and it's it's actually it's what's really interesting to me is I care more about the fit bark than I do about my own step counter. I know when I walk when I don't walk, it, you know my Fitbit or my watch buzzes. Yeah, my watch buzzes and tells me I haven't got up for an hour, and I'm like, yep, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Matter, Mute right? and and with the fit bark, it's so interesting to see like the dog being like restless at night like so they actually have shown like with fitbark is they've they've done a really good job of like crowdsourcing this data to figure out how active are breeds you know what's a normal activity level for this breed at this age so they've done a lot of really cool stuff but one of the things that they found was that you know one of the biggest indicators that your canine pal is not feeling well is if it doesn't sleep you know or if it's restless sleep and one morning, I ended up getting a, a little alert that my my dog Miko, you know, had a 
rough night of sleep. Yeah, she was having allergy problems, and then that's what prompted our our vet visit. And there's countless stories of that online because you know your dog can't speak, so why why not strap a fit bark to her to figure out what she wants? <laughs> that's craziness. It's also great that you can intervene on your dog's behalf earlier than I guess you would have otherwise been able to. That's wonderful. Exactly. And you know, I have I have a ton of respect for I, I love what they're doing. And uh, I think I, I when I was first telling you about my fit bark, uh, you know, it's a lot easier to give your dog's data away than your than your <laughs> own. One of the applications that FitBark is doing, which I really admire, is that they're teaming up with veterinary clinics and as a service or as a bonus for working or being a customer with this uh, with this vet. You feed your pet's FitBark data to them, and then they monitor it, and then they will automatically alert you, schedule appointments. They feed that data into a marketing automation tool. And hey, as a as a customer of that, now I didn't get my FitBark through my vet, but if I did, I mean, what an awesome service. I mean, I just like that to me is not about web analytics or trying to reverse engineer this goal path or just you know, trying to get people to do something they otherwise wouldn't have. It's just using data, using technology, using the tools at hand to create a marvelous experience, whether that's with your with a with dog data or with Amazon Go or with, you know, a Google search bar embedded on your website. I mean, this technology is all about convenience and uh, it's just going to be more of that in the future. And that makes me pretty excited. It makes me excited as well, really. Dan, thank you so much for spending your time with me and for sharing your thoughts and your experiences on the podcast. It's really been a pleasure to speak with you. I really appreciate having you on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And I hope that we can get a chance to maybe do a deep dive in one of your new shiny pet projects at some point in the near future. Uh, Count me in. That brings us to the end of this episode. You can find us online at 107.com slash podcast. This is Ivan Stegich. Thank you for listening. <laughs>